You make a deal with Netflix and you don't have money that comes into you forever. You get paid and then money 20% more or 30% more, but you that's it. It didn't come natural to me. There's so many things that I think about now I wish I had known when I was younger. What I believe resonates with people who are particularly now is content that has some sort of meaning to it. It's more than just pure entertainment. And so suddenly MTV was the only thing, it seemed, in the whole world and all of Hollywood and everybody else was taking their cues from this startup. I did not know a single writer when I became a writer. I think if you're trying to become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult. Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom with your host, Kaya Alexander. Hey, and welcome. I'm Kaya Alexander, host of the Entertainment Business Wisdom podcast. Today, my special guest in the house is Alex Lerner. He is a literary manager at Kaplan Perone Entertainment. Let me tell you about him. He has been a lit manager at KPE for over 13 years, repping writers and writer directors in film and TV. He started his career in representation at CAA, where he came up through the mailroom and worked as a literary agent in the MP Lit Group. Alex was born in the Ukraine and immigrated with his family to Boston when he was seven. After graduating from UMass Amherst, he moved to LA and started his entertainment career at the Walt Disney Theatrical Group, working on the finance side before moving into production and finally evolving into representation, which in his opinion is the best job in the business. Welcome, Alex. Thank you, appreciate that. I wanna hear why you feel that this is the best job in the business. Oh, cause it's the job where you get to invest in the writer or the writer director for the long term, whether or not the project that they're working on in the short term is going or not, you get to kind of have a, like a long view with them and you stick with them through the whole time. As opposed to, I think when I first started in the business, I thought it would be really great to be a producer. And then I got a little more information on what that means. And I think there's some really great producers out there and they're, and they're built that way and they're, and they're, and they're meant to be. And I think producing is a verb and it's an incredibly tough and great job. And when it works, it's amazing. And when it doesn't, it's, it feels terrible, I bet. Uh, and on the representation side, I kind of thought that the, that the losses and the wins um, were much more suitable to my personality. Cause I think a lot of it is not like what you do when things are going great. It's like, do you have the personality to like bounce back from when it's not going great? And for me, it's like when when something's not going great on the representation side, I, I've got like I've got things that I can do to just continue moving and be inspired. Whereas I think uh, those losses on the on the producing side, it would, it would be more difficult for me to pick up and almost like start from scratch. Where uh, as a rep, I, I I have my I'm only as good as my list of clients. So I, I always have that. That's a really interesting point. And it makes me wonder if part of your job makes you a bit of a therapist for those hard times when your clients are up against the wall. Uh, 100%. <laughs> I think absolutely. Is that and 9 p.m. calls on a Saturday or? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you need to, of course. I mean, I'm always, I always want to be as available as I can be, but we, 
I think I have like really healthy boundaries with my clients and and we know when when we need something from each other and when it's really important. I mean, at the end of the day, we're not exactly uh, finding the absolute cure for cancer here, but uh, we are an empathy machine if everything goes right. So I think from the perspective of the business, you just have to keep it in perspective. And yeah, I mean, understanding the human condition or at least having an empathy for the human condition is a major requirement of this job. How well I am able to dole out advice, I think, is how well I'm able to listen to each individual client and know know what they need and know where they're coming from. And really, I just I try not to bullshit people. I just try to tell them how I feel about things, what I'm what I'm observing in the business and just be a good student and a good listener. But also, like, you know, if a decision needs to be made, understand that sometimes clients need to hear a definitive like this is what i think the path should be if your goal is this this is what your path should be if your goal is that like it's a cooperative thing it's rarely it rarely works well when you're dictating anything to anybody especially to people who spend their lives in the creative realm where they have to merge what they do for a living with like you know their soul in many ways like they're really putting it out there and a lot of a lot of jobs are jobs and i think when you do it well enough you're able to kind of distinguish between something that's just a job and it is just a job uh, and something that is something like really fulfills you. And frankly, the ones that do the best, the ones that have a living are able to do this, are able to do both things. So yeah, I definitely, and it's important that they're in good mental health. I think in the last couple of years, we've all uh, realized uh, for those of us who have not realized before that mental health is the most important thing period without without that you really you don't have anything because the victories don't feel as sweet the you know the losses feel devastating there's no middle it's it's impossible so true it's an industry that's hard to have a work-life balance but it helps so much uh, when we do, I took up surfing a couple of years ago and did a lot of surfing in the pandemic, so much surfing in the pandemic, went surfing today. And it's like to be able to go somewhere to fill up your reserves and have some fun and, you know, find something that is outside the industry, I feel like is such a component of that mental health. I used to work for Gary Shandling and he had boxing. And he loved boxing and would go into the ring and find, you know, a, a deeper truth inside his own soul that he could then bring back to the page or, you know, to, to perform, which I, I thought was so awesome. And That's it's really nice. great. Yeah, it, it helps. I mean, it's it, it's an industry that will always want to unbalance you. <laughs> and there's the stakes yeah. are so high that uh, that it can be really stressful. So um, yeah. all that passion that leads into it, too, that keeps those of us who've been in it, like as long as you have coming back, you know, because it can be just so exciting. No, absolutely. That's great. That's really great. And that's, that's, that's good to know about Gary. He was, he was one of my heroes. I just think oh, he's really? such a, such a uh, wonderful light uh, and, and uh, such a talented guy. And I think it's really important. Yeah. I think that like, it's, you said it, it's they, there is no they, the they doesn't exist. If you ask anybody individually, they'll tell you that it's important to have balance. And the people that have like the strength of character to create those boundaries and still depend on themselves to perform, it's a really difficult thing. Like to do nothing is really hard. And sometimes to do nothing is the most important thing in the world. And your career is not measured in, you know, in the inches it's measured. I think, I think it's measured in the miles and I think it's important. I don't mean that you don't pay attention to the details, but I think it's really important to have a long view and, you know, you can't, I've had 
I've certainly have had clients that say, I will not do this step for free, or I will not have this extra creative conversation. And I'm like, okay, let's go fight for that. Cause it sounds like you're drawing your line, mm-hmm. you know, draw the line. And then the next day they do the thing. And you're like, oh, what you wanted to do is to say that you didn't want to do it. And in that respect, like, if you're going to do something, do it. If you're not going to do something, certainly don't. And I think that's, to me, is a really important thing. And that goes for boundaries to separate your life from your work. And that also goes boundaries of like to separate your work from your work, like to know when you've done it and that's it. And also know what the implications are. Like every action you have is going to have not an equal reaction, but it'll have a reaction. It's going to, it's going to cause some sort of reaction. And I cannot control those reactions. I could only, you know, report the news sometimes and just say, you know, you're going to do this and this is going to cause this conversation. How you have that conversation will dictate that relationship going forward, which is fine. Just as long as you know. That's so supportive. (laughs) That's the job. I love that. I love that. Um, You're touching on one of my own philosophies as a writer, which is it's better to have too many babies than a spoiled baby. Yeah, you can. And I think you said that at AFF when I when I saw you at the panel, you were saying like, just go write something else. You know, this piece is going out now. Like, go go work on the next thing. What's the next thing going to be? And I think that the, there's a healthy relationship with the with the muse and the creativity and also the job just in doing that and going, okay, I'm going to re- relinquish this one and then go dive into something else. Yeah, I think there's a rigor to it. I think there's a rigor to being a writer and it's a different rigor for everybody. I I remember the Stephen King book, the guy would write every day. Some people need to write four days a week. Some people can write all day long. Some people can write three hours and then they're, and then they just can't. And I think that goes back to like, you know, even in art training, like there's, there's the negative space and then there's a space that you fill with everything. And both are super important. And you, you, you really need to balance that, whatever that is for yourself. And you know, for writers, the end product is a script. It's not a presentation. It's not photos. It's not a, it's not a feel real. It's, it's your hundred pages. Like what's on the page there and everything else is extra and you get your hundred pages and you're happy about it or you're 120, not 121. And you, you get your, and then you keep going. And depending on where you, where you are in your career, the people that are guiding you, whether it's your peers, your writing group, you know, yourself, uh, if they're taking your class, like, you know, take that into account and then keep moving. I, I definitely keep moving. I think that's the, you, you don't want to just wait, you know, for like somebody to discover you. Cause it's just the amount that you can learn about yourself. If you continue to write is exponential. Yeah, it's true. I so, I so agree with that. You made an interesting point uh, at AFF also that I wanted you to dig deeper on there. So I'm Mm -hmm. excited to have you on the show because we get to dig deeper on it now. You were saying that you feel like the job for a writer is really threefold. It's writing, pitching, and managing relationships. So let's talk about that because I just thought that was so well-spoken. Oh, sure. Uh, I think you need to, I think people, it's, it's, it's reductive to say that people hire their friends, but take take that at its at what i'm trying to say about it people will hire people that they understand as as i think the contract between audience and comedian is that people will laugh at people that they like if you hate the person that's doing the joke and the joke is hilarious you you're 
probably not going to laugh because it's not going to feel that funny. If you're going to hire the person that's going to do your thing for you, it's a rewrite or a first writer in or to run a show or to even create a show and then, you know, whatever, in, whatever creative relationship you're asking an executive to get into with you, it's more than just you being on the page. They have to understand you on the page because they're going to lose their job if they hire somebody that is not going to be able to actually deliver the, the work product. But if you're not able to, in a cohesive way, explain yourself with repetition, because repetition, I think, is actually the key. I think being able to over and over explain the whole reason for for a you know for a show or for a movie, like just like the, like the main idea, as you hear people's feedback and being able to incorporate that feedback and then throw it back to them, it's it's a little bit of a game of catch. So that's what I mean about being able to pitch. It's not just to pitch to win the job it's to continue to pitch to keep the job and to when the job is over to make the person feel like oh that was okay the script got like 80 yards it, that was a that was not a hard 80 yards for us like we'll hire this person again they might they might have gotten to a place where it's like we need more specificity either cultural or experiential or just we know we know this playwright that's just going to tighten up this dialogue in third act like it's not nice to be rewritten, but if you're being rewritten because you've already gotten to the place to where it needs to be, because that's where you were, that's also a testament of not just your writing, but being able to just reason through the process and have an emotional maturity, which then goes into being able to manage your relationships. I think it's it's a very simple business. It's filled with slightly complicated people, like every business is. I think every person is its own island in many ways every person has their own kind of support groups and structures and they have everybody has a boss no matter how independently you work you tend to have a boss so i think it's important to know that know the pressures of every person that you're working with have an empathy for that and then see how you can work within that construct you know like get in there like i rarely spend my lunches with executives talking about work like we'll talk a little bit about work, but I want to know where they're from. I want to know what excites them. I want to know like what's interesting for them. Like what's the thing that like, well, how they got this start? Like all that stuff. That's that doesn't feel like work to me, but it it is part of the work. But it's not like you know. So when you're meeting somebody, it's it's just good to know where they're coming from. And I think that based on those relationships, that's when you end up like as you get further along in your career, you're able to you know you're getting a shorthand with people, and those people will end up hiring you. Like. If there are four people on a list to get hired for a job and that executive knows two of them pretty well because they've either been there in the bunker with them or they've had a lunch with them or they've had a general with them or they've heard them pitch, even though they didn't take their pitch, but they heard them pitch, they go, wow, that's a great pitch. Like that person really knows how to tell a story. That person gets hired. If, if the fourth person who doesn't know that executive is just golden on the page, but there's nothing else around that, they're just good on a page which is unfortunate, but that's what it is. I, I love that you're touching on building the relationships. And what I hear you saying is that one of the key soft skills is being a great listener. Can you hear what someone else is saying and integrate that input and then give it back to them so that they feel heard and they can see reciproc reciprocation um, uh, in that inside of that relationship? Yeah, absolutely. As soon as you talk about listening, then I'm wondering if I'm listening to you carefully enough. And then, <laughs> yes, it's exactly, it's very, it, look, it's, it's not very much different than being a good friend or being a good parent or being a good, you know, sibling or son. It's, it's how we connect. It's the most important thing in the world. You know, I, I just listened to, um, 
I just listened to John Stewart on Colbert today uh, from, from last night talking about the di like the monologue. He was he was so smart about it because it wasn't about anti-Semitism. It wasn't about hate. It wasn't. He just brought us back to are we listening to each other? Like what's the point? Like what is the intent of everything that you're hearing and saying? And words are the, this day and age, and I think forever are are incredibly valuable and they have weight and they could do amazing things and they could do terrible things. So I think, yeah, hearing hear, people will always tell you where they're coming from, even if they don't want to. Um, if you just listen, you get everything, like the whole thing. I get, I used to get mad sometimes when like I was treated badly or it, like something didn't go well or somebody behaved badly or just behaved unethically, whatever it is. I, I would like, I call my mom every day. I'm that kind of a guy. And I, I would complain to my mom and she'd be like, you know, say thank you that they showed you who they were. Mm -hmm. like, now, you know, like, that's great. Before you didn't like, now you kind of know what the person's like. So yeah, no, I think it's, it's an interesting, it's definitely my favorite part of the job. You, you really get to listen and hear people and, and that's fun. And shout out to the wise moms. I have a wise mom too. And that relationship for me, like she's one of my first readers. Her questions are so great when she reads one of my books or my scripts. I don't understand, you know, it's like, oh my God, of course, I didn't even see that. It's so great. Uh, and that wisdom and that touchstone, you know, I, I feel like it was Oprah, Maya Angelou, who are saying, you know, people will show you who they are. They'll they'll teach you how to treat them. And yes. in, this, in this industry, that's really true because they're bad actors, but they always reveal themselves. And then you're like, OK, well, I see who that person really is. And I, I don't know what your philosophy is, but mine being in this industry for a long time has been that I teach also my students to find your wolf pack. Who's your yes. wolf pack? Who's your go to? You know, mom is in Alex's wolf pack. You know, like who are the people who can pick up the phone and call and say, OK, it's falling apart. I need to talk to you. And certainly on my producing team, I have those two where it's like, you know, I, I know who's got struggles with their kids right now and, you know, who's graduating from what school, when and, you know, how the boat is doing and, you know, those types of things where you're getting into someone's real life and what they love and what they care about, which for so many of us is, you know, family and hobbies and things beyond, you know, just being in this industry, which is the point I think that you're making about managing those relationships, which is really knowing someone and being your authentic self so that you can develop these great relationships because an exec is going to look at who do I like? Who do I feel connection with? Who do I want in that room who, you know, is going to weigh in as a factor in addition to the skill of what's on the page? Absolutely. And also, don't take it so personally if you're being ignored. Everybody gets ignored in this business. It's too many. It's 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 too few opportunities and too many people looking for them. And don't mistake somebody ignoring you to somebody being bad to you. A lot of times you hear somebody talking trash about an executive or about a producer or about like a high level actor or director. Like, oh, this person's such a jerk. They didn't respond to me. It's like, you want something from them? Like, just understand that. Like. It, a lot of times people think that somebody's being a jerk to you because they're not giving you what you want. I think that's fine. You gotta be at peace with the fact that you have wants and the person that you want something from also has wants. And those things don't always line up. Like in a way, as a rep, my job is to translate that a little bit as much as I can and make somebody want the thing that I, you know, that I'm trying to sell or want to have a relationship with somebody. Like rarely do I call somebody up and say, well, you know, you're going to need to know this person. You have to. 
like my first question is like, what do you need? What's happening with you? Are you in a place right now where you're meeting writers? Are you in a place right now where you're meeting directors? Are you in a place right now where you're reading a lot of books? Like what's what's the what's the thing that you need right now? And I kind of hear it and go, okay, because when you do that, let's say five times, the sixth time when you call that person, you actually need something like I need this meeting or I need you to like, <laughs> pay attention to this script today. I, I sent it to you three weeks ago. Like I know it might not be in your agenda, but I think like if you're wondering why you're not getting ask how much you're giving like i had one of my mentors is uh is, is this uh agent michael perezian who i just i love him and and he was an agent at uh at caa when i was a coordinator coming up and he had retired when i was a coordinator and right right before he retired and, and he retired into directing plays he didn't he will never retire he'll just ah, you know, and other things but he uh he had this great saying at the end, and it, it was it was a it was a longer kind of like poetic saying, but I think it's it was it was basically like before you you know before you take give before you spend earn or save like kind of just ask ask of yourself like what what is it that you're putting out there and I think trying to take things too personally like uh, I think the Samuel Clements quote is like you know I've been through some terrible things in my life some of which actually happened it's like most things that you imagine won't actually even happen or they haven't happened, but you obsess over it so much that you kind of worry about it. And especially if you're trying to break into a business that there is no clear path to break into, it's very easy to be discouraged. Like oh. the hardest thing about AFF was meeting all these writers that don't have reps, but also don't have credits. Mm -hmm. It's not a perfect match for me. Like what I can offer is community and advice and some sort of, you know, hopefully specific answers to specific questions or general answers to general questions. Like very rarely am I walking out of AFF with like, oh, great, I got 48 scripts and I'm going <laughs> to sign four of them. Like, I, I, I don't know if that's actually the exercise for somebody at least, you know, who's who's at, you know, at, at a certain level in the representation game. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a path, you know. One of the things that struck me about being at AFF, just speaking really transparently about it, because as I was there also as a producer looking for projects, and there are so many strong pitches, but not with a lot of commercial like commercial viability. Um, where I'm going, God, oh, that's an interesting story that would cost a fortune to make. <laughs> and you know, looking at it from that perspective, so you were there um, to commute to give to the community. Um, to be present, you're on panels, you're circulating. What were your takeaways from AFF? Oh, I, you know, I think my takeaways are that because it's such a difficult business and so many people sacrifice as much as they do, like one of my favorite panels was was the panel that um, uh, uh, Oren and Christina Hodson had about failing. It was the panel on failing. I loved it. It was. It was I love Christina Hodson. I saw her speak for the first time this year, and I was just like, oh, my God, she's so sparkly. She's so fun. She's the best. And she's we best. actually represent her at Kaplan Brown. Oh, uh, yeah, I just was like, I, I need to read all her scripts now. One of my writing partners and I are just like going through her work, like so excited. Yeah. Yes. No, she's she's very talented. And I, I think that panel on failing was really interesting because I think that in it because the business is so hard, the reason why I go to AFF is to you know, obviously network with everybody else that's on the panels and different writers and different directors and kind of feel that, feel that energy. Um, and also it's really great to talk to people that are trying to make it in this business, because I think that like, it does feel like it's a little bit of like a black box where you don't, nobody's really shining a light in there and there are no absolutes. So if I can like help one person 
like re kind of reassess uh, the way that they're approaching this creative life, I think that's a benefit. And I think that we are we are absolutely in, you know, an apprenticeship based uh, business where like you have to respect that. I was I was you know, I had people take their time out of their life and their day to help me become the person that I am in this business, I want to take time out to make sure that I'm helping somebody else. Like, I don't know if I do, but frankly, like if I'm able to speak honestly about at least my perspective in the business and that helps somebody like figure out the next thing they're going to write or figure out even more importantly, like how they look at themselves in this business. Um, then that's great. Like if 10 people in a room and eight of them after my talk think, well, maybe I should go get my real estate license because this is, <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? At least they figure that out. But if those other two are like, you know what? Yeah, okay, I can do this. Like I've got this other skill that keeps me fed while I'm doing this, and and I, you know, I could I could kind of ride two jet skis at once, and when one starts to take off, I'll know how to hop on it. And I think that's really important because you can't do both. You, jet skis, you know, huh? not horses, that. not trains. We're on jet skis. That's yeah, cool. Jet skis are fun. <laughs> <That's nice. laughs> Um, exactly. <laughs> but I think that's why I do it. I mean, honestly, uh, and, and it's a couple of days. Austin's a great city. Um, I, I also had clients, um, that were taught, uh, that were speakers and it was great to just spend some time with them as well. And, you know, like that's, that, that's always great. I love that. Will you open the kimono for us a little bit on your life as a manager? Talk to me about like how, how many clients does that mean that you represent or how many are you even speaking to in a week and at like what stages of their careers are they at? I'd just love for you to yeah. share a bit more about that. Look, I have a, I have like one buck slip with clients and just it's maybe 40. I think it, I think it kind of vacillates give or take. And I, and I think that over the course of, I mean, I, I certainly, I'm always growing my business and the way that I'm signing is it because we're, we're now a larger company. There's, there's, there's over 13 of us now as managers with at all different levels and all different, uh, you know, stages of our career, I'm able to sign somebody and, and have like a younger manager come, come along and, and vice versa. I could sign somebody with somebody who has more experience, but even you know, more relationships than I do. It's, it's always organic in that way. So I don't know. I, I say the magic number is 40. It's it's never going to be 70. Mm. It's never going to be, it's probably never going to be 60. I mean, who knows? It, it, it depends like on what stage my clients are at. Like, I'm not going to go off and sign like 10 people with no experience. Right. I just, that's bad for my clients that don't have any experience. And it's really bad for my clients that have experience. And this where we are right now in the business, it's hard to get jobs for clients that have experience and that are that are constantly working. But the quality of jobs available, the amount of the amount of money that's floating around right now is like you know, it's 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 not the easiest time that's that's been between COVID and and uh, labor movements and the economy and the shifting uh, sands of distribution and how these major conglomerates are really comporting themselves financially. It's it's creating a little bit of tumult. Will it settle? Always does. It absolutely will. But right now it's 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 an it's a moment of inflection right now. So it's not a moment where I'm like, oh, I can what am I gonna do tomorrow? If I'm signing somebody today, I need to know what I'm doing for them tomorrow. Not like a month from now, not like, hey, write something else and see how you do. Not, I hope somebody likes your 30 pages. It's like, what's my value? 
Like, how am I helping this person? Is it picking up the phone and making 100 phone calls? Okay, I can do that. But if I do that 100 times with somebody who's brand new, as opposed to somebody who might have like some experience and be a value proposition on the other end of that phone call, that goes right. back to listening. It goes back to what are you looking for? And a lot of the time, I mean, rarely is the answer from a studio executive, well, oh, I'm looking for a brand new person with zero writing experience that has a great spec script. <laughs> you know? That's the unfortunate reality. That's not that's not meant to be discouraging. There's still a path for that person that's got a great spec script. Go go in a contest, go get a producer, go get the thing made, go get some attention, find motors for your projects. I don't have to be the motor for every project. In fact, that's why I don't produce. I'm an advocate for people's careers. I don't have to be an advocate for individual scripts necessarily. I mean, I am when I'm out there selling, but that's in service of being an advocate for a an actual writer or writer director. I don't take on like just somebody just for one project. I I try to make sure that there's as a whole as a whole career plan in place. Sounds like a lot of your work is about matchmaking. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like material experience with opportunities. Yeah. yeah, and what people are looking for. And then you're like, okay, what I have, what they're looking for, where are those, where are those matches? Where does it dovetail looking at the moment, but also probably long game too, with where that client wants to go with their career, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of my time balancing between making sure that I have a lot of client touch and, and I'm spending time like checking up on and checking in with a lot of clients, but also like, meeting with executives and producers and just asking very simple questions. What are you looking for? How's it going? How's this project? How's that project? Like just doing like the, the basic block and tackling. It's, it's a lot of like script accounting from that perspective, just you kind of, is this project ready to go to a director? Oh, are you going to need an, you know, another writer? Like anything, anything that's on the open directing list, eventually we'll probably have a writer. Like if they get a director, that director is going to, it's, it's very rarely our scripts predaport. I think you need you need to have a little bit of hemming here and there. And sometimes it ends up being the same writer. And sometimes somebody needs the magical feather of that million dollar writer to to make that script just that much more perfect for them. And and that's also a great opportunity for us because we we do represent writers on, on a lot of different levels, um, a lot of different experience levels. Oh, that's interesting. So you might rep a writer who's really great with like a dialogue pass or punching up jokes, for instance. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's, um, in the feature world, there's these things called round tables and people that have enough experience, you know, they don't get paid a lot. They get paid like the cost of like a, you know, a used iMac, uh, for a day, um, of just using their brain and they'll bring together like four or five really super experienced writers for like two grand a day for each mm -hmm. writer. And they'll say, here's the script or here's, can you watch this movie for us? And we need some help with like, this section or that section, this feels like it drags here, or this dialogue is feeling it's not working, or this chemistry is not working in any stage of the process. Like the movie could be in the can and they could be looking for some reshoots. The movie could be just about ready to go shoot and they're stress testing it and they've done some table reads and something sounding like, huh. Like we know we're, we know our, our budget is already locked. Our locations are done. What's gonna happen in those locations is something that we, we might need some help with. So while the art department goes and does their their work, there's going to be you know a roundtable with like five writers that have written on like major movies that understand the dynamics of budget, the, the dynamics of production, and how that like if they make a suggestion, they're not going to make a suggestion that like 
blows up like the line producer's job. They're going to make a suggestion that is going to just give the script coordinator something to do, and then hopefully we give the director something better to shoot. And yeah. those sometimes turn into great jobs. Sometimes they turn into no jobs at all. You just get your two grand and you move on. But sometimes you get your two grand and then a week later you get a call and they want to hire you for a couple of weeks. And if you're one of those people that gets paid weekly and you do really well, if you're one of those people that haven't been paid weekly, you're on your way to doing really well. That, is, that sounds like so much fun. You're reminding me of, uh, so when I was a development exec, the first movie that I gave notes on was Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds early in his career. Super fun Christmas movie. We're coming into that time of year. And what was so wild about that was, you know, we're working with New Line. We had the script. It's my, you know, it's the first time in the seat as a development exec. So I don't really even know anything about how movies get made, et cetera. But we're, you know, giving notes on the script, looking at it, going, yeah, this looks really great. And they go into production, the director is shooting. And what happens is Anna Ferris is hysterical and she's so great and so funny and the dailies are slaying and we're all laughing so hard and the director's like on his knees please please can i please rewrite the movie like a day ahead because she's so great we need to give her this much bigger role so he's like writing at night and getting you know getting it ready to shoot the next day and that movie completely changed shape just because she was killing it uh, in that role. And it was so fun to see that happen. It was just so, so fun. And it is, it can be that dynamic. And I think there's that confusion, especially amongst new writers or maybe writers who aren't yet working in the industry who think that it's static. I have this script. The script is done. It goes out. It gets made. It's like, no. <laughs> no, it's a constant, it's, it's a constant sport. conversation. No, for sure. It, it's it's a collaboration. And that's where I think like a, a lot of emotional maturity comes into place because it is scary. I mean, you are you're opening up a business for like $50 million on average, sometimes a lot more. Like a startup, you mean? Yeah, a startup. Like here's your $50 Every, million yeah, startup. Like 12 months, <laughs> and you got to make your money back. And it's crazy the amount you spend in a short period of time. And if you do it right, you provide jobs and you give people opportunities and you make art or you make commerce or you make both and people get the benefit and they get to be entertained or enthralled or whatever emotion that you're doing. But at the end of the day, yeah, like they right, right up until the, the thing gets released, I think they, it, it gets it gets tweaked with. And also, it's a little bit of a baton pass. Like in the beginning, it's just a writer, but then they sell it and it becomes the studio. You pass the baton to the studio. Then there's a director. You pass the baton to the director. Then there's an actor that's got a point of view because they're saying the lines. You're, you're constantly passing the baton around, and that's where it becomes a trust exercise and you know a real exercise in what are you made of? Like, are you able to put your ego in a kryptonite-proof box <laughs> and keep it safe <laughs> while allowing other people to be there in the process without you feeling like you're being taken advantage of like are you able to to not overreact to like what might feel like and usually does like losing control yeah losing control or you know a dig on your soul when your soul is really invested and in, you know yeah. the marrow of you is on the page that can be really hard to shape it's like you know if you can't handle it i always say be a novelist because, you know, you can actually go create and write in a room or a cabin or you still have to, and you're still fighting the red pen. You're still yeah. fighting your editor. The editor is going to come along and have notes. And oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, I think it's a matter. I think it really is a matter of like, can you can can you just understand when you have control and when somebody else has control? Mm -hmm. Just accept that and know that 
sometimes your control is just to have a point of view and have the mutual respect of being listened to and not necessarily influencing the whole process. And sometimes you have the conch and you have to be respectful of other people who feel like they don't have control, but you have to make them at least feel like they're being heard. Yes. I think it's important to be a benevolent leader. I think that especially in the creative process where you're dealing with a lot of gushy, gushy souls, um, you want to, and I mean that uh, the biggest compliment, because I think that, you know, not everybody makes a living with the parts of their brain that also affects like their mood and their life. Like we're not making widgets. Mm -hmm. You're, You're trying to put yourself into the shoes of another character and create a story math and an emotional math that is going to resonate on screen and make somebody who's sitting there in a dark theater for like an hour and a half to two hours pretend that they're actually seeing this happen whether whatever the genre of the movie is it's a huge skill set and it takes a lot it takes a huge toll on you so i think like being respectful and knowing it's a psychological skill set yeah and also being able to kind of like okay just letting it go this is why so many of us become buddhists alex the middle path. <laughs> the middle path. Very important. <laughs> Can you relinquish it to the, you know, it's like the destruction of the Tibetan sand painting. We're going to make this beautiful, amazing thing. Then we're going to destroy it. <laughs> I love that. It's my favorite part. It's the hardest part. <laughs> Buddhism and capitalism are in, in a constant odds with each other. It's very difficult to like read a book about like how to succeed in business. And then also like, uh, you know, a, a Buddhist text. You're like, oh man, these are... These are conflicting, but they don't have to be. You can you can certainly find everybody can find their own path. Wait, I miss my conversations with Gary Shandling that were a lot about pain and love. And we would talk about some of the scripts that he was reading, or he would say, Hey, my friend wrote this. Why don't you read it? And we just discuss it. And usually it came down to we don't feel enough of the relationships of who they love on the page or not enough of their pain. You know, where are they really suffering? Where are they really struggling? And going to those, going to those deeper depths. Gary used to say about um, the Larry Sanders show, and I love this so much, that his show was really about um, people who love each other, but show business gets in the way. A hundred percent. I love that show. That was the, that was my first introduction to him. I, that, that's, that's a hundred percent true. Absolutely. Yeah. You have, to, I mean, the relationships, all that matters at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's an empty victory without it. And there's yeah. no way, there's no way to handle, and there's no way to handle the disappointments without it. It is, it is the constant. And I think that that's in a way that's great. Cause that's your answer. It's kind of like when I've, had a client be really upset because it was an executive that was not really respecting their boundaries. They uh, they just needed some time uh, to to handle some stuff, and they just couldn't, you know, they they could not make this kind of invisible deadline. And the producer kept on bugging them, and it was like, well, you know, here's the good news: because they're disrespecting your boundary, you don't have to care about them anymore. You're going to take the time you're going to take. What are you going to do? Like not do the most important thing because of this guy? Right. No, you're going to just, and then they showed you who they are. And you don't even have to take that, like, you don't even have to take that all the way to the end. You can just know that they've got this kind of blind spot. They did this thing. You're not going to do what they make you do because nobody can make you do anything. But now you don't have to feel bad about it because they're the ones that broke it. They broke the boundary, not you. You made a boundary. They broke it. Okay. That's on them. That's on them. That's got nothing to do with you. And that's that's a hard thing to do because your living depends on it. But it's not the last job you're going to have. There's that relinquishing. 
the, the ability to relinquish and, and know within boundaries is important because then it's like, here's what's mine and there's what's theirs. Yeah. And knowing where that line is, is really important in this industry where, you know, especially before something goes into production, it's, there's a lot of work and energy and heft that goes into creating it. But then once something is in production, you're working those insane hours it's really, it can be confusing to know, hey, where where are those lines? And uh, one of the things I teach my students is just even how to give a great apology, because we're in an industry where we get, you know, you run, feelings run hot, you can be, uh, somebody else can get hot on you or vice versa. And at least being able to say, you know what, my bad, you know, that was my mistake and reset, be able to reset that relationship is a, it really becomes a valuable life skill because these are relationships that hopefully you have for the life of your work in the business. Absolutely. And I think letting go is not the same as capitulation. It's not the same as, you know, giving up or, or like, uh, you know, not having a strong, like point of view or a, a backbone, like, you can just have a good rhetoric about why you think something is important and why you think that you should have it be this way. And all you can do is express it to the person who is who would at that moment be in charge of that being that way. And if that person is not in charge of being that way, well, then, then it doesn't matter what they think. Who cares? You know, like it's OK. Yeah. How fast can you let something go and get back to work? It's important to mourn, though. No don't miss the mourning process you know it's like those friends that have like lost a parent or something that forget to mourn and then like 10 years later they break up with somebody they're like it's because i never mourned her death it's like well yeah man you gotta you gotta take the time you gotta respect your you gotta respect your heart but but don't wallow that's not good for anything but definitely yeah like if you lose a job if something doesn't go your way you write something you think is amazing you hand it in the president of the studio thinks it's a piece of shit, and you're like oh man okay well, yeah, like go have a bad day. Like, it's okay. Go take a jog, do what you need to do to like accept it and then move. But certainly take the moment. You you should, you should certainly not just let it fly off of you. Like right, give the it the respect. processing your actual feelings versus ignoring or avoiding them, which is not healthy. Yeah, exactly. And also understanding that you're part of the process. You're like, you're one you're the writer, you're the director, you're not the editor, you're not the studio executive, you're not the marketing person, you're not the audience who doesn't get it. You're not any of those people, you know? And sometimes you write something or you, or you do something, you're totally surprised. Oh my God, they loved it? I was like, I kind of let this one go. And then like somebody else who wasn't in that process is telling you what this thing means to them. Like, I don't know, probably, I, I can imagine that, you know, like Salinger, probably meant something else by Catcher in the Rye. But the amount of people that are affected by that by, by that text is crazy. And what they get out of it is probably, it was probably surprising to him, you know, to some extent, you know, not in other areas, but, you know, to the extent that people re really responded to that. It's kind of like, oh, wow. Like, look at all these people, like, finding another another way to see what I did. So, you know, there's, there's surprises everywhere if you if you allow it to happen. Yeah, it's really true. Hey, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the market. And one of the things I want to ask you about is IP, is IP strategy. Of course, this industry has always been very IP based, but it seems like right now we're hearing this a lot more than in even during the pandemic. I'm curious your perspective on it. And also, what's your guidance with your clients? Do you encourage them to go after IP? Um, are they going off on bake-offs? to helm IP that is, you know, that like Sony or Disney already has. Can you give us a little bit of the like lay, layout of that land? 
Yeah, I think I think original ideas are really hard. They're the unicorn in the business. When it happens, when you get a quiet place, when you get like a don't worry darling, when you get like when, when you get these these projects that just feel original ex machina, you know, they're not original concepts per se. And I think actually, if I'm not mistaken, ex machina was actually based on something. Most things are based on IP is the answer. Right. And the reason for that is twofold. One, you have IP that is really has a high uh, like visibility. So you're already penetrating through the marketplace that is giving your investors a little bit of like comfort that there's a brand awareness, right? You're not yeah. just running for office and you've come from nowhere. You've, mm -hmm. you've sat on city council for a few minutes. Like people know your name a little bit. That's really important. You're getting IP from everywhere, video games, uh, uh, short stories that have been around, short stories that are brand new, some from, from an author that's known. There's got to be some element, a story that is uh, that has caught the imagination, you, you know, 13 hours based on those those kids in the cave. Like we have an awareness there. So then it's like a, a race, right? There was like this documentary, there's the Ron Howard movie, there's, there's another movie There's like everybody just kind of surrounds it from different perspectives. The answer is IP is really, really important. A majority of my clients that are paid in this business are adapting IP. They're doing remakes. They're um, they're doing a new take into uh, existing IP, whether it's a video game or an anime or a book, or there's always something that kind of gives it this legitimacy. It's, it's, it's Sometimes it's the magic feather, which, you know, Dumbo could fly without it. Sometimes it's really important, you know, and I think, honestly, I, I don't know if I'm smart enough to know when it's one or the other. I just know that there's an enthusiasm for it and there's a little bit of cover for it because the IP exists. I lean into it as much as I can. Um, in terms of writers going after IP, depends who you are. You're not going to get control of IP if you don't have if you don't have a you know some sort of a track record. Um, that's just how it is. So it's a little bit of like the chicken or the egg. Like if if you go after a piece of IP that is not really caring whether or not you have any kind of experience or resume in the business. And they just might not be valuable IP. The value of IP is important. It still has to be something that somebody wants. There's always been companies that come and go that uh, try to reverse engineer comic books and all that and graphic novels. And sometimes that works. And sometimes, you know, I've seen it work best where they would reverse engineer it, but then would also actually put the time into it and 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 put it out. There, there's a, there's an entire community out there that really enjoys comic books beyond just like the Marvel and DC worlds, the graphic novels out there. Like there, it's it it has to stand on its own. And to go back to letting go, like if you're creating that IP, like it's Dino, it's got to be enough. Like it's it's got to stand on its own. It's got to be a good book. It's got to be a good story it's not just flashy photographs with like a well-produced you know like just like a book that is pretending to be something that it's not um but those also have been sold you know it, that happens but i think i yes the answer is all the major companies are looking for ip but at the same time you know every year you see original stuff come through and it's really interesting but even like like one of my favorite films ever made is arrival I just I love that movie. I love I love everything about that movie. I think it's it's not only brilliantly written, but it's also like the way that they cast it and the way that she plays it is so like nobody else could have done that. It was so smart. It was it, it's, it's I forget the name of that word where like a word is the same backwards and forwards, but it 
her performance was that way. And that's anyway, I love that. It's based on a short story. Somebody read that short story, and it wasn't like it wasn't like that short. I think the, the story was called the "Story of My Life," uh, the story of our lives. Like it wasn't like that short story came out like five minutes before it was bought. Like it was around. So people find these things, and authors get different momentum. Like if you if you really want to be smart about it, look at the last couple of films that got made really well based on IP, and look at that author and see what else they have. That's that's always a good source. You know, oh, absolutely. Like first thing that Stephen King made. Like people just went, oh, huh, that guy, guy probably has, he's got an entire library. I mean, he has literally a library of short stories and books and, you know, audiobooks too. Like One of my students actually got permission to do an adaptation for a short film from one of his short stories. And one dollar. She, yeah, she'd never done anything before. He's like, I love it. Go for it. You know, it's like so cool. There's yeah, opportunities out there. I'm always encouraging my students like, hey, go look. I actually optioned a piece of IP that I shouldn't have gotten given that I'm fairly new into producing and doing adaptations in the industry. But I love the book so much. My favorite memoir ever, best-selling memoir. And I just wrote the author and I was like, let me tell you how much I love this book and why and why your story spoke to me and how much this matters to me. And she turned down two other production companies to work with me because of the resonance and like the the relationship that was there you know i wanted to honor her story and her work and this incredible legacy that she's left the world you know in her story and that was like hey you never know you never yeah. know you might get somebody who you know has that successful ip but who's really looking for a relationship with a writer with a director who's going to take care and be the great steward and shepherd of their work finding its way to screen so it's worth looking into it's it's worth exploring what's out there i completely agree there's there's way more there's way there's way more uh material out there that anybody knows what to do with when yeah. it comes to adaptation Having a unique way into it is really important. Having that relationship with an author. I had a client who had a story that 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 they wanted to tell and wrote a script and then found a book that kind of fit. And then in addition to that, did more research. And that book was helpful. You know, it didn't work out exactly the way we wanted, but it there's a way to do that. That like uh, there's certainly a way to um not just use IP as garnish, but really bolster the research and maybe even make deeper the story that you want to tell. Like you might have an instinct that there's definitely a story in like this person's life. Well, if you think that, maybe somebody else already thought that and they wrote an article about it or they did a, a research paper on it, or if there's a you know a novel or whatever. Like there's so many things that can, you know, create that texture in a in a, in a piece. So yeah, but IP is important. It really helps. How important is it that it be like, it sold a million copies or is it enough that it's like, hey, this is a really incredible story that's maybe lesser known that we could bring out into the zeitgeist that may have resonance. Talk to me about that. I think it's important that it has it has a profile. If it doesn't have a profile, then it's a little bit of a fake leaf. You know, it's like, yeah, somebody else already kind of worked out the basic structure of like what the story can be and the IP acts as like almost like a shorthand for what you're trying to do. But when something has like some sort of either the author or the specific short story has a little bit of a presence, that's a lot more helpful. Mm, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it's either the author or the story has something in that equation needs to have profile. The reason why IP is important and it's not just a word is that you're trying to get ahead of the marketing of a story. 
and getting some awareness so people are feeling like they're in the presence of something that they feel like they should know about. Like, like oh, I should know this. fan base. Yeah, exactly. Oh, this was based on a video game. Oh, I never played that video game, but I played I played Sega. I just never played that game. Oh, cool. Now I'll play that game or like whatever it is, like some sort of an awareness that clicks in. Like there's something psychological about seeing a movie poster drive by on a bus. It's expensive. It's an outdated probably form of advertising if you want to look at it in a, in a very kind of like overtly critical way. But actually, it's not, is it? Like... You have a different respect for something that's driving by on a bus than a banner that's going by your Google Mail. You just, psychologically, we're just not there yet. But when we get there, that's where the advertising will be as well. But like, and it is there, of course. But like, when somebody tells you to go see something, that has an effect on you. Like, if you're not being told to see something and, and you're like in a sea of content without any kind of curation, you kind of get what you have right now, which is, many more good things out there that people know about, but also a lot of bad things out there that people probably shouldn't know about. And you don't really know the difference because nobody's, it's too much for people to curate all of it. So, but an and IP helps you cut through this clutter. Cut through the noise. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Well, Alex, since we have you here, I think one of the things that my audience would really love to hear is what is your advice for new writers? I know you're not repping uncredited writers who are early in their career, but we have so many who listen to the show who are early in their career who are going, what samples do I need? What needs to be in my portfolio? What how, what would make me manager ready? I think, I mean, from a from a rigor standpoint, understand how much you want to put into it. And continue writing, whatever it is, don't stop writing. You, you will learn a lot about yourself. If you continue to write, you'll, you'll learn, you'll become a better writer. It's the 10,000 hours. Like, and I know it's an art form and there's an ineffability to it. And there isn't a rhyme or reason why certain writers get very successful while others do not. And that's a, that's an unfairness gap that I don't even know how to bridge, but I do know that if you have a rigor and you keep on writing, if you are meant to do this, and if you've got that that talent, it will only get better with, with every piece that you write. You will learn the craft more. The math of the writing is something you can learn. The, the spirit of it, the, the ear for dialogue, that's something, a lot of that is like, I, I, I don't know where my most talented clients go to find that if they ever lose it. So that's why I'm very careful when, I, when I'm like trying to, you know, overly dissect their success. You just, so that's one thing. The next thing is, Figure out what kind of career you want. Like, be a student of this business. Like, listen to your podcast. Listen to writers talk. Like, the amount of information that's out there is pretty vast. I mean, you could hear, you could probably hear every Q&A from every writer and every director you are a fan of. Just go find it. It's it's out there. Anybody who I'm trying to sign, I look up their Q&As. Like, I'm, who I'm going to have lunch with in an hour, I've... I've seen their Q and A's like they're, they're incredibly important to me and I wanted to know what they're about and it's the information's available. So learn by listening to other people, especially people that you admire, try to figure out their careers. Not everybody who does these kinds of Q and A's are giving you like the absolute real, real. So try to like read between the lines of like what a career is. Everybody in retrospect is a hero of their own lives. So, you know, look for the foibles, look for the failures, look for how you deal with the the hard parts. Also look at how people deal with success. When you have one success, what's the next success and how do they build those? How are they building a career? And does that work for you? 
and be honest with yourself because every career is different and a career in the arts takes a certain kind of, you know, uh, uh, kind of uh, gilding. You, you have to, you have to uh, protect yourself from the unknown in order for you to be able to be at the highest part of your game and be able to continue to be productive. Um, and then every time you write something, if you're working with a manager or an agent or anybody, at least what I try to do with every client from every experience level, when you're doing something on spec, ask yourself a very simple question. What do you want it to accomplish? It only works if it sells and gets made. That's the only reason you're writing this. Okay. Just understand what that means. That means that you, the, the result of that is very much out of your control. The odds of that happening is very much out of your control. And nobody can tell you it's not going to happen, but nobody can tell you with any certainty that it will. So for me, it's like before I let somebody do something on spec, not let somebody, but encourage them to do on spec, I just make sure that that answer jives with their expectation. If the expectation is, I want to show a voice, I want to show myself this way, this is a story I have to tell. Your barrier to entry as a writer is you know, your computer and your brain. Your barrier to entry as a director is like a couple million dollars sometimes. <laughs> so you're lucky. And also you're the only person in this business that gets paid for development. Nobody else gets paid to experiment with, with the studio's money, mm. really, like on the, on, on the development side. So just know that there is like this, this whole, like, if you think you have it hard as a writer, and you do, because I think the amount of control you have, the amount of power you have in the business, there's so many other factors that, that are kind of like, that, that feel hurtful sometimes. Think about what it's like to be a director or to be an actor or to be a producer. All these people only get made if the cameras roll. And then if you look, even though now we have a lot more content than we did before, the cameras roll a lot less often than the amount of scripts that get written. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one point of encouragement I'd give. Um, and in terms of like find, like being ready for a manager, I mean, you want somebody to discover you. You want somebody who reads you and goes, oh, I know exactly what to do with you. Like, I know how to put this together. Or like, it might even start with not a, not a manager, but with like a producer. Absolutely. And then a producer that can get something made. And then they get it made and it's starting to come out great. Like if I know that a movie's going to Sundance and it, and I, I get the script and I love the script and like, I don't know, I'll take a look. Like that's a, that's a good thing or some other festival or, you know, like there's, there's momentum. There's You're talking about momentum. momentum, that there's momentum. Yeah. In every stage of the career from, from the most beginning stage to your, the last script you'll write. Like if you don't have momentum, you're not going to be able to get in those rooms. You're not going to be able to get the thing made. I think that's the most important thing. And that's something as a rep you're supposed to do, but also as a writer, it's your responsibility to, to recognize momentum and to recognize what you can do in your behalf to continue the momentum. The one thing I would say is don't forget to be competitive, whatever your version of competitive is. Like I'm not a glad, I'm not like a football guy. I'm a soccer guy. I like the low scoring hot, like games that, have a poetry to them and it's a long play and it's it is you know i i mean i really hate football um but like <laughs> I, I i but i think it's really important to like it's it's really important to just know yourself and know how you compete and don't just think there's there's just one way there are people that are incredibly aggressive but they're not thinking about the relationships. There are people that are too meek and they're not taking advantage of the opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like know yourself, know where you're comfortable, how you're comfortable dealing with people, and then do that to the best of your ability. 
don't just shrink back and go, oh, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of soft-spoken and I don't like to, I don't like to like really challenge people's opinions. Okay. How are you going to get your point across? I mean, how do you function? How do you get through, how do you get through your day? I mean, you order your coffee, don't you? So you're able to, you are able to communicate. So figure out what you're comfortable with and like order your coffee. But instead of ordering your coffee, like order your career. I want to, you know, I think this script is going to do this for me. Is that, is that right? Does that make sense? Cool. If it doesn't, okay, tell me why. And then I'll think of the next thing I'm going to write, but always keep writing and ask yourself, what's the purpose of the thing that I'm doing? Because you want your effort to have as much efficiency as possible. You don't want to just, you don't want to mistake effort for uh, value, which is a really hard thing. If it took you three years to write a script or four years to get a movie made, you think that's going to be the best, most amazing movie ever. It took people 90 minutes to watch it and give an opinion, and they knew what they thought about it in the first 30. Be okay with that. Like, that's real. And if that's real, then you're going to then have your, 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 exchange, your, your exchange rate of where you get your joy and where you understand you are in the business is going to be realistic. And then maybe you'll be in a place where you're not feeling like you're, you know, constantly like looking through the window that's fogged up. I love that. You're, you're so deep. <laughs> is that mom? Is that all mom? <laughs> a little bit of dad. Oh, a little bit of dad too. I love that. There, there's an element to training fearlessness in this industry that's really important. Um, like we mentioned, Gary Shandling had boxing. I have surfing. And it changed my life having a relationship with something that was encouraging me to be more fearless because yeah. students are often surprised when they say, well, how, you know, I, I followed up once. Do you think I should follow up again? And I'm like, yeah, you should not only follow up again, you should follow up with that producer like every two weeks forever until you get a pass or they say something or they respond to your call. You know, like you had said earlier, people at the highest levels, you know, in the throne chairs of this industry, they have a lot of deal flow and they're really busy and they might be interested in you and they forget because they have 5,000 other calls that are coming in and opportunities and stuff. And if you can train the fearlessness element and get yourself to the point where you can get your toes on the edge of the diving board more often and be like, hey, I'm going to go for it. Um, I think that people really respond to that, especially coming from the exec side, being on the buyer side. When I had a writer who was feeling really fearless or even a director in the room with that pitch and going, I'm just going to go for it. You know, I knew that was going to be a really fun meeting. And half of those meetings you're going, oh, my God, I'm going to I'm going to fall asleep. And you know, it's like, it's so great to get somebody who's willing to, to come in kind of close to the bone. And it doesn't mean you have to be loud or, uh, you know, have a huge personality, but to be able to tell a story, to be able to make it compelling and to bring in some element of courage where everybody's going to respect you coming out of that meeting. And Alex, like you said earlier, maybe they don't hire you for that thing, but boy, are you memorable. They're going to yeah. be like, oh yeah. Okay. So, you know, at some point down the road, this person, you know, and, and I think that that is an important perspective, too, because you're not so in um, the myopia of, oh, but it, this thing failed. But it's like, oh, but the long game, you know, it's working, right? Yeah. No, I think fear. I think fear is the enemy. I think fear is the opposite of love. It's it's the worst thing. And, and it's the hardest thing to beat. And it's the thing that creeps in the most right before you go to sleep and probably right when you wake up. And I think it's something that you need to consistently destroy. And and just be confident. And there's that line between confidence and arrogance. And I think it's okay to be confident. And I think it's off-putting to be arrogant. 
And I think it's just knowing the difference. And I think there's many ways that you can express that. And I think a lot of that comes back to what we talked about, which is just have a balance. Absolutely. Be okay. Be okay. Like m- most people do not have the time nor the inclination to do something outwardly bad for to you. They're not doing this to you. It just sometimes you don't get what you want. That's okay. Alex Lerner, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Kaya Alexander can be reached on Twitter for your questions or comments at This Is Kaya. Get entertainment business career training as well as a free special report, How to Pitch Anything in One Minute, at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Thank you.